The North Carolina Healthcare Association is a proud sponsor of the Do Politics Better podcast. The association is a united voice for hospitals, health systems, and care providers to ensure they can offer high quality, lower cost care to all North Carolinians. Visit nchealthcare.org to learn more about how hospitals and health systems are working to make healthcare easier, more convenient, and with better outcomes. It's the Do Politics Better podcast. I'm Brian Lewis. And I'm Sky David. Last week, us, past us, set up a problem for current us. Uh-huh. And that was that you thought you put $20 down that a budget would be passed this week. That's what I told people I was willing to wager if we had a casino to make that wager. Come collect, people. <laughs> Who did I bet? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. But all bets are off this week. The General Assembly has been a whirlwind of toxicity this week. It just chaos. Mm-hmm. On Monday, all the news reports were floating, like we're going to see the budget tonight. Over the weekend, you saw reports on Twitter. It was going to be released on Sunday. Like you saw these rumors circulating. But Monday, remember Berger's having closed door meetings with the Freedom Caucus too. Yeah. So it wasn't making sense to us. Right. That he's in closed door meetings with the Freedom Caucus. And we're supposed to be getting a budget on the same day. It just didn't make sense. So Tuesday morning comes. There are a couple committee meetings, and I went to one at 9. I got to the building at, I don't know, 8.45. I think I texted you 10. Mm -hmm. And I said, I have been here for an hour, and I have heard 13 rumors as to (laughs) what is happening today. I get to the building just before 11 o'clock, and by that time... Twitter has blown up. It is evident that we are nowhere near having a budget on Tuesday or this week at all. I came out of a committee and you and I went outside the Senate caucus. Now, we like to sit outside the Senate caucus and usually it's not that packed. There there are a couple other people that we see regularly outside the Senate caucus, but the entire quad was full of people and they were all staffers. And it's that northeast second floor right outside the Senate chamber. There's a meeting room where the senators meet behind closed doors. It's not open to the public. Central staff is there. And so you get the sense. And they're going in and out of the room. Right. The cent- various central staff members are assigned to different parts of the budget. Essentially, they were in caucus behind closed doors for over three hours. And It felt, we didn't get confirmation of this, but it felt as if adjustments were being made to a budget. Yeah, so I was saying to you, I was like, this is odd. If there's no budget and nobody has any idea as to what's happening, why is central staff in caucus? (laughs) (laughs) And then we just like moved around that court and asked everybody what they thought. It's interesting in these times of, I don't want to say crisis, but it certainly felt that way. Whatever you're working on, lobbyists do come together and try to share information. So there was a lot of, what do you know? What do you know? What was really scary is when you hear from staff and they say, what do you know? (laughs) 
because you think they must know they're in the room, but you get the sense coming out of the Senate caucus that maybe they don't know what the House is going to do. To back us up on the budget, the timeline of the budget is really interesting that the House passed their budget April 6th. The Senate passed their budget May 18th. And since then, the budget's been in conference. So you have to assume these conversations have been percolating. So we've talked about it in past podcasts. The way the budget is constructed, it's mainly done at the subcommittee level. They work out between the House and the Senate in a conference committee what that's going to look like in the various departments, education, transportation, health and human services. Now, what they don't agree on gets kicked up to the big budget chairs. And then the big budget chairs between the House and the Senate come together, and then they work out differences. And then what they can't work out, they send up to the corner offices. Casinos was one of those things. The way that works is President Pro Tem Phil Berger with his staff gets together with Speaker Tim Moore and his staff, and they just work out the deal. And they say, okay, this is what we're going to do. This is what we're not going to do. They shake hands and they go back to their caucuses and they say, hey, this is the deal we have, guys. We're getting a lot of good stuff in the budget for the House. You know, we got this, we got that. Oh, by the way, casinos are going in. Senator Berger goes back to his caucus, says, hey, we got some things in the budget, casinos. We got some other things maybe you don't like. And there's usually a lot of deference to that, but not this time. (laughs) So when Tim Moore goes back to his caucus, he learns that 42 of his members, he has a caucus of 72, 42 of his members are like, yeah, this is a good deal. We'll take it. We're voting for the budget. But 30 of them say, if it has casinos in it, we don't like this budget. The real kink here is that it appears Speaker Moore had told Senator Berger as long as a majority of his caucus was for casinos, they would move ahead. Now everybody knows what the numbers are. So a majority of his caucus, they were for that. However, you can't pass a budget with 42 people voting for it. And so you're probably wondering, well, where are the Democrats on this? We have heard anywhere between six and eight Democrats are willing to vote for a budget with casinos in it. But let's be optimistic and say that eight Democrats are ready to vote for the budget. That really only gives you 50 votes. So what Speaker Moore is telling Senator Berger is, yeah, I took it back. And we're about 11 votes short of passing a budget, period. And we have another complicating factor that came out this week that kind of shocked us all. So there was a, a handshake deal, maybe, or just a verbal communication. I'm not sure what exactly it was, but there was an understanding that Governor Cooper would sign the budget. And he had told legislative leaders that. Now, this week, Axios Raleigh had an exclusive from Governor Cooper saying, yeah, I'm probably going to veto that budget. (laughs) And so with that complicating factor, you now know you have to get to three-fifths of those present in voting. And if everyone's there, that's 72 in the House and 30 in the Senate. Creates a bigger problem. Mm -hmm. And you're probably wondering out there, I thought Governor Cooper wanted Medicaid expansion and Medicaid expansion is tied to this budget passing. And yes, you are correct. And that has got a lot of us scratching our heads. Would Governor Cooper veto a budget that has his signature legacy 
program, the expansion of Medicaid, is he willing to veto that and let it go undone as he leaves the governorship in 2024? If Speaker Moore wants to work with Democrats to pass a budget, he's going to need the assistance of Governor Cooper, which lays in another layer of drama, and that is to get Democrats to support the budget in addition to wanting Medicaid, they probably have a list of other things they would like to see included in the budget, and I'm sure they have a list of things they would like taken out of the budget. Are the Republicans willing to deal with Democrats to get this deal done where they have a $30 billion spending plan, comes with teacher raises, state employee raises, infrastructure investment, all those good things, but it also needs to include casinos to get the Senate on board, It needs to have a package of things to get Democrats on board. So we're in a delay right now. Back to Tuesday, the Senate goes into session. There are a couple bills they voted on. And Senator Berger, after session, talks to the media and says, I think the speaker needs to honor his commitment to me. This is bigger than casinos now. My caucus needs to know that when I come back to them and say that I've negotiated a deal that that actually happened. I, I need to have their trust, essentially. It was a very gentleman way of wording that, but for many of us that have been around and reading just between the words, you can feel the tension between Senator Berger and Speaker Moore. So again, we're back on Tuesday. Then the House goes into session a little bit later. First, there are some kids there that were protesting, so they paused while they removed them from the gallery. So there was a little pause in session. And then they came back in after a recess. The recess was supposed to be until like 3.45 or something. And at like a little after 4, they announced they were going to do that big elections bill that had gone through rules and then a couple other Senate bills. And the House said, we're not doing any of that. We're leaving. And we come back today. By the way, we're recording this podcast on Wednesday afternoon. There is still tensions. The House has gone. And the Senate, they have hit the road as well. It was reported in WRAL that Berger and Moore met multiple times today. And that temperatures have cooled off. So that's possible. And that's a positive. We spoke to a few senators today just making small talk again we wait outside the senate caucus room and they usually break from senate caucus and go to the senate floor to take care of session heard varying accounts of what the timeline is like over the next couple weeks we heard one senator say he thought this would be all packaged up and ready in a couple weeks he admitted he was being optimistic Uh, we then had a senator come behind him and say yeah what you just heard is overly optimistic. We are likely to be here for quite some time dealing with some of these differences. It leads us to some of the options that are out there with a budget. All of these options have been floated. I'm not willing to make a bet today on any of them. I will just say that we're going to list them as possibilities. Option one, Speaker Moore spends the next couple weeks talking to members to get them to a place where they can support casinos. 
Is it what's on the table right now? We don't know, but is there a path for casinos in the budget? Speaker Moore, I imagine, will be including some Democrats in this. He does have anywhere between six and eight Democrats that he can get on board. They need to attract other Democrats. The second option that we've heard is we pass a budget without casinos. Now, this will have, we believe, some consequences into other parts of the budget. Number three would be what Senator Berger has suggested a couple of times. Put the budget on the floor, and if it fails, it fails. That means starting the budget process all over again, if you even want to go down that road. I think that leads to many budgets which would be, again, those adjustments we make to the various departments. We don't know this for certain, but historically, they've been on the leaner side. There is a fourth option. Do nothing. Do nothing. Save a lot of money. Yeah, you would save a lot of money. And, you know, we've said it before, we have a essentially what is called an evergreen statute, where if we don't have a budget in place, we're working off last year's budget. So we would have a budget, you know, the prison doors don't fly open, schools stay open, but they are operating off of last year's budget. And that comes at an immense savings to the state as far as your coffers go. But we know that we have school systems, we have state employees, we have all these needs. That would be a nuclear option, I would say. Which takes me to my next point, and that's something Brian and I spent all day Tuesday talking through what could happen, and, you know, we think it's so crazy, this is chaotic, blah, 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 but does your average North Carolinian, one, know that there is there hasn't been a new spending plan passed that were on last year's budget, and do they care? Yeah. Because if you're gambling on this, I'm going to guess that most people... Is it going to change the way they vote? Right. I don't know. So it's bad. I'm not saying it because we don't have a budget. That's not what I'm saying at all. What I am saying is... The breakdown in trust. Yes. And the public display of criticism that is being aimed at each other, among Republicans in particular. So there are so many camps out there. You have the Senate that seems to be in a fight with the House. Over on the House side, you have your rank-and-file Republicans who seem to be fighting with the Freedom Caucus, which mm-hmm. is your conservative members. So we heard walked out of caucus yesterday. We also have to throw in the mix the governor with the two at loggerheads with the two leaders. Mm-hmm. And then you have the Democrat rank-and-file legislators in the House and the Senate. Some, we believe, are trying to get in on a deal and then you have others who are just popping popcorn and watching republicans fight each other and enjoying it i imagine it is good theater yeah it was like going to your friend's house when you're a kid and you're just hanging out and then their parents start fighting and you're like man your mom and dad are really going at it in there like just When that happens, I just pretend I'm part of the wall. (laughs) That's how we felt this week. Yeah. Controversy and infighting is nothing new to the General Assembly. It doesn't 
happen to this level every day. But, you know, talking to some of the veteran lobbyists who are like, yeah, remember the lottery back in the mid 2000s? That was a lot of infighting there. Democrats then were in control and there were fighting between the liberal wing of the Democratic Party and the mainstream wing of the Democratic Party. And then you had the fighting with Republicans willing to support the lottery versus those who that were opposed. That was ugly. A lot of outburst on the House floor in particular. I remember Senator Mark Baznight being personally attacked on the Senate floor for bringing the vote up and not allowing pairing. That's when a member is absent. They can pair their vote with someone's there and they counter out uh, each other's vote. Well, Mark Baznight, he did away with pairing for that vote. And there were a couple absences among Republicans. Some Republicans were saying it was orchestrated. So the lottery was certainly tension in both chambers. And then there were the co-speakers during, uh, I think it was the 2003 session between Speaker Jim Black and Richard Morgan. That was ugly. It really divided the Republican caucus that year. This feels up there, if not worse. The Do Politics Better podcast is supported by the North Carolina Travel Industry Association. Founded in 1955, NCTIA has a distinguished history of partnering with the North Carolina General Assembly to strengthen and preserve tourism in North Carolina. Visit nctia.travel for more information on how you can support your local tourism destination and the thousands of North Carolina jobs it creates. Taking it back to yesterday, Tuesday, there's all of this going on. Everybody's talking about what's going on with the budget. And there are also some announcements for candidates. Announcements that would have led off this podcast yes. and any other week. We had a former disgraced congressional candidate down in the 9th District, Mark Harris. He ran in 2018. Now, Dan Bishop currently is the seat holder in Congress for that seat. Uh, He's announced he's running for attorney general. So Mark Harris, who initially won that election in 2018, but then it was found that there was some harvesting of ballots in the district He announced this week that he is coming back. He is going to run for that seat. This is a turn of events because there was a much-covered hearing at the State Board of Election in which Mark Harris was taken down by his son, John Harris, who testified that his father had made some mistakes, that uh, the, the younger Harris was concerned about using McRae Dallas's political consulting services. He was known for bending the rules on how you harvest absentee ballots. Uh, there was crying in, the, in that hearing by Mark Harris, where he went ahead and said, look, I'm, I'm not going to run. That allowed Dan Bishop to come in for that special election. Dan Bishop ended up prevailing and has been serving since. But Mark Harris is back, and he is now saying he is going to redeem himself, that he was taken down by the woke left, and that uh, he wants your vote for Congress in that Republican, what will, I'm sure will be a primary. Additionally, we've been talking about this for a few weeks. Mike Morgan, Supreme Court Justice, is officially in 
the Democratic primary race for governor against current Attorney General Josh Stein. You brought out something interesting about his campaign logo that I, when I saw it, I was like, yeah, you're right. It's the Law and Order logo. <laughs> it is. <laughs> As a scholar, <laughs> yeah, I watched a lot of Law and Order with my grandmother. Uh-huh. Dun-dun. Yeah, I could recognize that anywhere. <laughs> yeah. News and Observer got the story. They got an exclusive. Don Vaughn over at the NNO did an interview with uh, former Justice Mike Morgan at his home this week in which Mike Morgan says that he's really the electable Democrat. He went on to criticize Governor Cooper for endorsing Attorney General Josh Stein for that gubernatorial race. Uh, I don't think that Attorney General Stein had this in his campaign plan. He certainly had to know over the last few weeks that uh, Mr. Morgan was thinking about jumping into this race. But even as of two weeks ago, I I talked to some folks and there was some speculation that maybe Mike Morgan would just run for attorney general. There really is no prominent Democrat who has announced for attorney general yet. There's one down in Duplin County, I believe, but that's about it. I think a lot of folks expect Jeff Jackson to get into the race, but yeah, we have a uh, we have a contest now on both sides of the aisle for the nomination for governor. Additionally, with him vacating that seat on Monday, Governor Cooper announced that he was appointing Allison Riggs to that Supreme Court seat. And Governor Cooper announced that he was replacing Allison Riggs's seat on the Court of Appeals with Carolyn Thompson. The Do Politics Better podcast is sponsored by the North Carolina Beer and Wine Wholesalers Association. Beer and wine distributors in North Carolina are family-owned companies that directly employ more than 5,600 men and women across the state. The North Carolina Beer and Wine Wholesalers Association works with the General Assembly to develop alcohol policies that ensure fairness in a competitive marketplace and promote responsible behavior. Visit the North Carolina Beer and Wine Wholesalers Association at ncbeerwine.com for more information. We had the first debate among Republican gubernatorial candidates this week. That happened in Wake County. We're going to talk about that in a minute, but first let's talk about some polling we got from our friend David Capen. He has a consulting firm. He also has a polling service called Capen Analytics. It just launched a few weeks ago. He sent us some polling today. By the time this podcast drops, you will see the press release, you will see the polling, but we have some of that information here. Just about the GOP primary, specifically for governor. And no surprise, Lieutenant Governor Mark Robinson is winning, and or leading in the polls, rather. And he leads Walker by 49 percentage points. Senator Andy Wells, State Treasurer Del Falwell, and Jesse Thomas, the Blue Cross Blue Shield executive, they are all collectively gaining about 12% of the vote out there, of which Mr. Thomas has 7% of that vote. So you have to give a little tip of the hat to Jesse Thomas. He's never been in elected office. We just got to know him a couple weeks ago when he announced, I think he has a social media ad out there. You would think that Certainly, Treasurer Del Falwell would be getting more traction than this. And Senator Andy Wells, I think he has a Facebook ad or two out there, but he doesn't seem to be gaining any traction. 
He also has a blog. Oh, he has a blog. That's right. (laughs) Primary election day is less than six months away. 15% of the voters are undecided. A very low number. (laughs) Yeah. Seems to be that Mark Robinson is someone to make your bet on. Thanks, David Capen, for these numbers. And uh, look for that in a press release. David's on Twitter. He's on social media. Now, this week, as we said earlier, there was a debate among the GOP candidates. Everyone was invited, but only three people showed up. Jesse Thomas, former Congressman Mark Walker, and Treasurer Dale Falwell. It was held here in Wake County at a country club, I believe, in Cary. And there is a video, reel-to-reel video. We will have a hot link in our episode description We know that Mark Robinson did not want to go to this debate. He is the front runner, has the most to lose. Curious as to why Senator Andy Wells did not show up, especially since he's doing so poorly in the polls. I guess the trip from Hickory to Cary was a little too far. (laughs) I did watch the debate. Did you watch the debate? No, I asked you. You were at my house. I said, is there something this is on? You're like, it's not on TV. Well, WXII had the link, so I watched it last night. I have to say this. I thought that <laughs> I thought that Jesse Thomas did a really good job. He was really the only candidate on the stage that I thought had some criticisms for Mark Robinson. He essentially said that if you vote for Mark Robinson in the primary, you're throwing your vote away because this man cannot win against Josh Stein. Uh, He's assuming Stein's going to be the nominee. Uh, Everyone else seemed to be talking about their profile, what they did. Mark Walker talked about, you know, his service in Congress. And, of course, Dale Falwell, if you got a nickel for every time he said keeper of the people's purse, (laughs) you could buy yourself a cup of coffee this morning. Um, Or if you're Dale Falwell, five burritos. (laughs) Five burritos. (laughs) In typical Dale Falwell fashion, he did bring lots of props. Uh, I enjoyed the three-minute segment of him taking us through all of his uniforms that he wore in various jobs, including newspaper deliverer, uh, Coca-Cola. He worked at Coca-Cola. He also worked at a restaurant, and he had all of his uniforms, Hmm. and he showed them to us. Del Falwell loves a prop, (laughs) (laughs) and he had all of his papers with him. It was good. You really need to watch the debate. There were some funny kind of things where Mark Walker seemed to really have it for his microphone. He did a lot of adjusting to the microphone. And then Dale Falwell threw him a curveball. So Jesse Thomas goes first, sits down, and gives his talk. Mark Walker stays seated, gives his talk. You get to Dale Falwell, he's like, I'm going to stand up. And so Mark Walker does ask at one point, hey, why does he get to stand up? (laughs) (laughs) Then Mark Walker decides he's going to stand up for the rest of his answers. So halfway through the debate, Mark Walker decides to start standing up. And I just really enjoyed the comedy of that, of, you know, they had different mics and yeah, yeah. SNL skit. Oh, it was. It was it was really good. Tweet Tweet of of the week. week. The Tweet of the Week is sponsored by the North Carolina Pork Council, representing hog farmers around the state working hard to do agriculture better. 
Today, hog farms are reducing their carbon footprint by covering lagoons, reducing emissions, and generating renewable natural gas. To learn more, visit ncpork.org. We don't have a guest this week. It's just us talking. So we're going to move right into Tweet of the Week, which is so on theme. And I just want to note that yesterday I picked this as Tweet of the Week and sent it to you. And then about eight to ten of you (laughs) sent it to us. Like, this is Tweet of the Week. I'm like, yeah, I already picked it. So this week's Tweet of the Week is from Laura Killian. She's at Laura underscore Killian. And she's a state legislative director for the Farm Bureau. Her tweet is, to quote an anonymous NCGA staffer today, I don't think I'm having fun anymore. Almost 12,000 views. I also like Lucille Sherman's tweet, and she's done this before. It's almost like the FUBAR meter down in the press room where I think it made it up to number nine this Mm -hmm. week. But it's Elmo in hell, and he's just raising his hands. It's a gif. So much confusion in the building this week, and it wasn't fun but it kind of was fun. We talked about that. We really want a budget passed. We're like everyone else. We've, we've got folks that are relying on the budget. And we have one client, the North Carolina Travel Industry Association, is in support of casinos. They see it as a huge boost to rural tourism in particular, Anson County, Rockingham County, Nash County, and then Robinson County. So they see that as a plus and all the, you know, the hotels and everything benefits. But again, we're not directly involved in the casino issue, but we did remark a couple times just how juicy everything was. Yeah. We love a little gossip. We love gossip. (laughs) Yeah. It wasn't as fun though, because usually budget week, We have our traditions of being there through all the debate and, you know, some going out on the roof. Yeah. Howard Hunter used to bring moonshine to the General Assembly. And, you know, it's just it's fun. It is fun. But this was fun in its own weird way. Yeah, very weird way. Kind of rubbernecking a little bit like who's fighting who? But we think that there were probably a lot of other people who had more fun this week than those of us in the General Assembly? Number one, Aaron Rodgers' doctor. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, Jets fans, y- you know, did you guys have more fun than us in the General Assembly? I think we have a listener, Braxton Marcella. He is a Jets fan. He's been tweeting this week about the poor Jets. Uh, Aaron Rodgers tears his Achilles. He's out for the season. I watched Hard Knocks yeah. this season. You didn't watch Hard Knocks. Uh, we watched it together, you dip. <laughs> <laughs> I told you about it, remember? Yeah. So I got really vested into the Jet season. I pull for the Panthers. They're my primary team. I'll pull for the Steelers because as a kid, I grew up as a Steelers fan. But I was bandwagoning the Jets this year because I was so vested into Hard Knocks. And, and That's what Hard Knocks does every year. Yeah, yeah. so it gives, you a thir- gives me a third team to pull for. Wow. But, you uh, can't be loyal at all. Uh, yeah, I mean, look. NFL. Look, Aaron Rodgers, he switches uniforms after a career with Green Bay. I don't want to hear about loyalty from the NFL. They're not loyal. We're just rooting for uniforms anyway. They're not real teams. Oh, gosh. So so now college football's not real. The NFL's not real. Well, they switch teams. They switch teams. Oh, but you know know who is not just uniforms? The Cubs. (laughs) 
Yeah, are. you see where your argument has obvious loopholes. I'm, I'm rooting for uniform. I'm just rooting for the red, white, and blue uniform of the Cubs. Yeah, I get it. Because there's only one player left from that 2016 World Series team, and that's Kyle Hendricks, the professor, who is still pitching. David Ross is the manager, but yeah, that team's changed a lot. So anyway, I hate it for the Jets fans, but were they having more fun than us this week? Well, Probably, because they still won. They did win. So, a win is a win. Yeah. Xavier Gibson, the last kid. Panthers can't say that, can they? Panthers are bad. (laughs) They're so bad. I I told Stephen Webb, he's a big Panthers fan. He's a lobbyist down at the General Assembly. He's like, oh, they're going to be nine and seven. Man, they'll be lucky to win five games. I felt that way about, I thought the Illini were going to be pretty good. You know how I told you my uncle, he was so optimistic. We lost to freaking Kansas this week. (laughs) I don't even know where that school's located. Uh -uh. (laughs) In a field somewhere. And we lost to them. So things aren't looking good for us either. But luckily I'm used to us being terrible. I saw that you went to the NC State game. And and it was a blowout with Notre Dame. They they it was only a blowout in like the fourth quarter. Yeah, well, so like the game that I was at was fine. Oh, the part you saw. Uh, Yeah, I I left before things got too bad. Mm Hmm. But you guys got rained on. Now I was in Hickory, and I saw where lightning struck the scoreboard. By the way, if you're an NC State booster and you paid for that scoreboard that brand new scoreboard and it gets struck by lightning i hate to tell you this but nc state athletics bleacher report first reported that and then it like blew up on social media that the scoreboard was hit by lightning it wasn't it just shorted because of the weather and they fixed it right after was it just unplug it and plug it back in i don't know but (laughs) It was fine in the second. Okay. The second. I keep thinking the second half was when they came back, but it was actually still the first quarter. It was pouring in the morning, right? Mm-hmm. And I looked on my phone and was like, this doesn't even say it's supposed to rain the rest of the day. You know, the weather looked fine and the rain started to let up, go over there, totally fine. It's sunny now, like a little hot even. And so sitting in the sun, whatever, everybody's having a good time. And then it comes on the screen. There's like lightning, warning, lightning in your area, but they don't make you leave. So nobody's really moving. Game's going on. And then before there was rain, before you could see the lightning, they were like, everyone has to evacuate. Please make your way to the nearest exit. You can take shelter in your car. You can take a shelter in PNC, but you cannot stay here. So you had to get out of the stadium and then like a slow mass of people, right? Uh-huh. And then it starts pouring. Now that walk is... It's not far. Okay. But it starts pouring. You're trying to make a decision. Do I go home? Do I walk like really far to the car? Or what should I do here? We went to PNC with, you know, however many thousand other people that did that. And slowly people started to like trickle down into the seats. And they had security on the floor. Like, you know, old guys. Uh-huh. That I'm sure didn't want to spend their Saturday like this. But there's all these kids in there. Cell service wasn't great. So like a lot of people are just sitting there. There are people playing like rock, paper, scissors across the way. Uh, I saw some kids shadow boxing across. And then one kid <laughs> decides, this is my time to shine. Okay. Right? And they run down 
onto the floor. There was like a little stage set up, but it wasn't, they didn't go up on that. So one kid does that and you see security like start to like slowly go over to the kid. They're doing gymnastics and like everybody's (laughs) clapping. Like we've all now come together and we're all watching security approach them. So the kid runs back up the stairs. So while they go over to that side, a kid on the other side comes down and suddenly it became every child who thought to themselves... (laughs) I've got something to show, ran down there and they couldn't really contain the kids. And then you see the cops come in, like the guy's talking on his mic, the cops come in and the crowd collectively starts booing the cops. (laughs) 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 Just because they're all like, you know, let these kids do whatever, you know, it had become like, you know, a girl going out there doing a cartwheel and then running back to her parents. (laughs) That is funny it, it was amazing it reminds me of that committee we were in a few years ago where there was a protest and the kid <laughs> yeah. stands up in committee starts yelling at the legislators the legislator is yelling back at the kid finally <laughs> the sergeant at arms comes in and you know we love the sergeant at arms but they're on the older side of life. Yeah. And this kid. They're on the Aaron Rodgers plan. Yeah. Well, this kid is in flip-flop shorts and a t-shirt, and he just jukes and jives, gets out of the committee room. You have these sergeant-at-arms chasing this kid. I say kid. He's a teenager, college student. That was kind of funny. Yeah. Yeah. I'm glad you made it out alive. You didn't get struck by lightning. Sounds like you just got rained on. Yeah. And then you had to suffer a loss. Yeah, but, you know, it's easy for me to root for NC State because it's just like being a Illini fan for me. It's like, you know, you have hope, then you lose hope. Then you have a little hope again, then you lose it again. So, like, you know, NC State fans, I feel you. Yeah, well, we didn't have an interview this week. We wanted to spend a little more time on what happened this week, and we didn't want to cut our interview short, but we're going to come back next week with an interview and probably a lot more news around this budget. We'll talk to you about it then, but until then, please remember to do politics better.